Welcome to the Money and Mortgages Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Coleman, accredited financial counselor and mortgage planner. Join me as I speak with fellow industry experts on all things personal finance. Welcome, everyone. This is your host, Adam Coleman, and my guest today is Joe Dewar. He's a certified financial planner and CPA with Mesoselma Advisors out of New Jersey. Uh, today, we're going to be talking a little bit of a deep dive into backdoor Roth contributions. So, Joe, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, Adam. Appreciate it. Well, before we jump in, tell us a little bit about yourself and then your firm. So as you mentioned, I'm a CFP and CPA uh, located in New Jersey. I'm the Vice President of Wealth Planning at Medicine Advisors and CPAs. Uh, we're located in Tinton Falls, New Jersey, but we serve uh, clients across the country. Uh, our niche is physicians and medical uh, professionals representing about 70% of our clients, but the other 30% of our wonderful clients are from all professions and, and all walks of life. So we're CFPs and CPAs, so we provide a holistic view of you know, financial planning and taxes, you know, being that we're experts on both sides, and, and that's how we provide value to our clients. In my role, I'm uh, on the advisory and wealth management side. I provide comprehensive financial plans and, and other wealth management guidance towards our clients. And also on the tax side, I oversee our 1040 or individual tax bracket. Nice. Well, and that was one reason why I definitely wanted to have you on the show is just because you have those both hats that you're wearing from the tax preparer side and the tax planning side, and then obviously the more traditional financial planning side. And I think back to a rough contribution, certainly you kind of need to have both of those hats and yeah, some of this sure. stuff that we're going to go through. So I like to hear more from your expertise on that. So I think we're, we're in for a good one here. Well, I guess to kind of kick us off, you know, I don't know how well-known the backdoor contribution topic is. I think for financial planning clients, probably it's pretty well-known. But for the average consumer, maybe give a quick overview of what exactly is the backdoor Roth contribution. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great place to start. So it's definitely, I think, like you said, something that's talked a lot about and maybe even mystified. When you break it down, it's really a small tax-free Roth IRA conversion when you do it correctly. And that's how I think individuals should look at it. It's applicable to a certain group of taxpayers that fit a specific fact pattern in that they're high income individuals as determined by the phase outs for certain deductions and contribution limits set by the IRS annually. They, they can't make deductible traditional IRA contributions, but they also can't contribute directly to a Roth uh, IRA. So they're kind of stuck in the middle there. And those are the types of individuals that we'll talk more about and who the strategy could be applicable to. Yeah. Yeah. No, we'll definitely hit more details on that because I know that's a big question of like, all right, well, when do I need to do a backdoor and you know, why can't I just do a traditional IRA versus a backdoor? So we'll touch on that here in a little bit more detail for sure. I guess maybe jumping to that to some degree, when should somebody consider a backdoor Roth strategy versus another option? So when I was preparing for this, you know, I tried to really paint a picture of someone that I would consider as maybe it's definitely like a layup for them or call it a no-brainer. And I try to put some criteria to that so people can kind of, you know, it could be a quantifiable or just have some steps to it of when you should start uh, thinking about this for yourself. Again, this is just like a common picture of someone. It, it could vary for, on a case-by-case -case basis, but this is someone that I would certainly consider the strategy for and certainly consider recommending it. First, they have to be eligible to contribute to an IRA. And what I mean by that is, there's an earned income uh, requirement. 
basically if you make $2,000, you can't put $6,000 in IRA, right? You have to have enough right. income to cover your contribution to the account, so to speak. Then the second one, which is something I like to highlight here that's sometimes overlooked is individuals come in and they say, okay, I, I make enough money, but my spouse doesn't, the, the spouses, they stay at home. They, they don't work for whatever reason. So they didn't earn any income. So to that first point, they can't contribute. Well, that's, that's not necessarily correct for married individuals. Their spouse can actually cover that earned income requirement for you. So that's certainly something to be aware of and mention to your, to your tax preparer, financial advisor, if you're interested and you previously thought that maybe you were a spouse that could not contribute, maybe you can, even if you don't have any earned income on your tax bill there. Is that for filing jointly and separately, or does it matter? For married filing separate, there's some special rules too, that which, which we can get into. So, well, I'll, I'll touch on those later, just given the income limitations and all that kind of stuff that we'll get into, it, it varies greatly from married filing separate. So it's, if you're married filing separate, you should pay special attention to uh, what you're doing on the IRA um, contribution side. Right. Then the second one is um, you would not otherwise be able to make a deductible traditional IRA contribution for reasons of these phase out limits that we talk about. Um, but you still want to fill that IRA bucket in terms of maxing out your retirement contributions that are available to you every year. And why I think this is important and why this jumps out as someone should definitely start considering it if, if they fit this criteria is um, generally when you're looking at, should I contribute to a traditional or Roth basis to any, any retirement account, whether it's 401k, IRA, 403b, whatever it is, you're typically trying to weigh what would the benefit of this be in terms of a deduction now versus what would my tax bracket, what is it expected to be in retirement? And if it's, if the deduction, you gauge the deduction is worth more now, you'd probably want to make a traditional contributions in a general sense. But if you think maybe it's going to be higher in your retirement, then maybe you're going to think of uh, the Roth, right? And, th and there's other considerations going into all those choices, but that's just a high level idea that you can generally think of. But what's important to, to highlight here is the traditional IRA, if you contribute or are an overall just covered by a retirement plan for your employer, by your employer, and you make over a certain amount of income, you might not be able to even make a deductible IRA, traditional IRA contribution. So what you'd be left with is either making a non-deductible contribution to a traditional IRA, where of course, what the non-deductible piece that wouldn't be taxable to you in the future when you take distributions, but being that it's a traditional IRA, the growth on that amount that you put in would be taxable to you in the future. So if your only choice is that, or maybe you can do this Roth strategy that we're discussing today, where the contribution that you put in and also the appreciation on that account would never be taxable to you when it's taken out in retirement. That's something you heavily want to consider because there's really no meaningful deduction to weigh against the other side of the tax-free growth. So it's kind of pushing you in that Roth direction. And that could be really beneficial specifically to individuals that fit that profile. Number three, of course, it's kind of, I guess, uh, elementary, but you want to make sure that you have the cash to do it, right? Some people... They hear, oh, backdoor off, I got to do that. But then maybe, you know, they're, they might be overextending themselves. And so it's important to make sure that you have that cash available and that you will not need to touch the money that you're putting into this account, right? 
because there are various other complicated rules at play, five-year rule, and that's, you know, conversation for another, another day. You could talk about that for hours, but just to keep things very simple, if you can leave this money in the account, that's when you want to start to consider it. And then also just if it makes sense in your overall financial plan. So let's mm-hmm. say you make $500,000 a year and that's great, but you want to save up this year $100,000 for a down payment on a home and every dollar has to go to that. You fit criteria is number one through four, but then maybe number five, it didn't make sense. So just to recap, you're eligible to contribute. You can't otherwise make a traditional IRA, deductible traditional IRA deduction. Uh, you don't have any existing traditional IRAs. And if you do, it's not the end of the world. We can talk about some strategies about that at the end. You have the cash to do it. You won't need the cash in terms of pulling it out of the account anytime soon. And it makes sense in your overall financial plan. Nice. And I guess backing up a little bit, just to clarify for everybody, there's really not a situation where you would ever do a backdoor Roth when you could simply do a Roth contribution, like just a regular Roth contribution. So these are specifically for scenarios where maybe you'd like to do a Roth contribution, you make over the limit, and we're going to talk about that next. But then you have to do this backdoor strategy where you're converting money into a a Roth so that you do have that tax-free not only gross, but tax-free withdrawals in retirement as well. But again, if you can just contribute to the regular Roth, then that's going to be the path of least resistance, a much much easier path to go. So, Precisely. So I guess the income restrictions are obviously the big ones. So there's different income restrictions for a traditional IRA versus a Roth IRA. So can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah. So one thing I like to point out too is, let's say you're an individual that you don't fit the backdoor Roth strategy in terms of you have an existing traditional IRA. So you're kind of stuck in this, oh, well, I can't make a deductible traditional IRA contribution and I can't contribute to a Roth. There's nothing I can do. That's not necessarily true. I think it's important to point out just at the beginning of this conversation that there's no income restrictions on contributions to a traditional IRA. So you can always contribute to a traditional IRA. It's just whether it would be deductible or not. That's the question. So in that scenario, you make these non-deductible contributions. There's no phase out to your ability to do that. But like we just touched on briefly, the what you put into the account wouldn't be taxable to you once you pull it out as distributions in retirement, but the growth would be taxable. So I just figured it's good to touch on that before we jump into to the rest of this. But um, first, I'll, I'll touch on Roth, right? So for 2023, if you're single, filing status. If you're AGI, you're modified adjusted gross income. So it's mainly your AGI with some potential adjustments, but just for simplicity, we can call it your AGI is less than $153,000. You can contribute to a Roth. Just put the money right in the end. Right. Uh, where you run into an issue is once you get over that, your ability is slowly phased out. I believe it's over a $10,000 range. And then after that, you can't make any contributions to a Roth at all directly. So if you were in that sweet spot, you might be able to contribute some money to a Roth directly, but you might be phased out uh, in terms of making the complete contribution. And married, similar married filing joint, similar situation. The phase out starts at 228000 So once you get beyond that, you might be inhibited in, in terms of your ability to uh, contribute directly to a Roth IRA. And for married filing separate, you're extremely limited. 
the uh, the phase out is is only ten thousand dollars of income. So if you're married filing separate, definitely, like we said, be on the ball with that. Just for us, we serve a lot of physicians. A, a common strategy that you see here and there for physicians is you know they have to, sometimes it's more advantageous even though they're paying more tax. They married they they file married filing separately for purposes of keeping their loan payments down if it's an income based right. loan. So we see that sometimes in practice, and it's, it's important to, to be aware if you're married filing separate status. And also something before I move on to the traditional limits that I wanted to just be clear on. If you're at all worried that you might be in that phase out range, I would definitely advise you to hold off on your contributions until you have your tax return done and your tax preparer can tell you exactly what you're able to contribute to your Roth IRA or your traditional IRA in terms of a deductible contribution, whatever it is, you always have until April 15th of the following year to contribute to the, the IRA of the past year. So for example, what I'm saying is for 2023, you have until April 15th of 2024 to make your contributions. So there's still time to have your tax return prepared and have your preparer tell you exactly what you can contribute in the context of those phase outs and the income limitations and everything before you make the contribution. So if you're rushing to do it, you might put yourself in a, in a position where you have to maybe pull money out or just, it could be a headache. So if you're in doubt, I would say just hold off. Yeah, no, and I think so many people get caught up in that end of year thing, thinking that it's going to be this big right. tax deadline. And I guess for 401ks, it's certainly that way, but IRAs, you definitely have that flexibility where it makes things a lot easier. There's not really a whole lot of incentive to do it earlier than that from, from their standpoint, right? Right. I mean, I guess some some people are of of the mindset that they want to get it in as early as possible so they can put the money to work in the market and go about it that way. It's tough to time the market. I, you know, I can't, there's no better or worse time to put it in, right? As, right, as, right. So, yeah. Well, and nothing's yeah. stopping them from putting it in the market. It just wouldn't be on the IRA yet. So they could obviously right. do something ahead of time, but then just convert it over. It doesn't have to be cash from your checking account as a contribution, you can, you can switch over investments. For as far as, no, you have, you have to contribute cash to- Or to you I have to liquidate, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll clarify. You have to liquidate them into cash exactly. before exactly. you convert it, but you could invest it in the meantime, is what I'm okay. saying. You don't have to leave it as cash until end of, before April 15th to contribute. You can obviously liquidate it pretty late in the game and then still meet that tax deadline. Exactly. For the traditional IRA, so the Roth IRA, the limitations are, we're just running up against, can you even put money in the account? The traditional IRA, the question is, will that be deductible to you? Mm -hmm. You can always right. contribute to the traditional IRA, just will I get a deduction? So what's important too, as like a caveat before we get into this, is these limits only come into play where you're covered by a plan, meaning that you contributed to a 401k, like a retirement plan. So you contributed right. to a 401k or maybe some kind of safe harbor contribution was put in on your behalf. And you'll know this by the box will be checked on your W-2 that says, were, were you, did you, were you covered by a retirement plan? So that's really, so if you're not, you know, there's, there's no income limit, right? So that would be, that's one thing, but very commonly, you know, individuals are covered by a plan in some capacity. So you, you might run into that issue. But so that's really the first hurdle that you're clearing. But now let's say you are, right? And, the, and these can kind of get complicated in terms of one spouse working and both spouses are working and this and this and that. But just in general, right, we're looking at if your AGI is $73,000 or less, 
and you're filing single, you'll be able to make a deductible contribution. The phase out is between 73,000 and 83,000. And then for married filing joint, that phase out is starts at 166,000. So if you're under 116, I'm sorry, 16,000. So if you're under 116,000, you're good. If you're in the phase out range of one one sixteen to one thirty six, exactly as it as it sounds, you'd be phased out of your ability to deduct your contribution. So, like I touched on earlier, if you're at all concerned that maybe you're running up against that limit, just hold off on the contributions. Discuss with your tax preparer once everything's done, and and they can direct you once you have a final picture of your income, what your the treatment of your contributions would be. With the income limits being fairly low on those traditional IRA contributions to get the tax deduction, do you find that people really ever do it that way? Or do they typically just go with the Roth contribution instead of the deductible um, traditional IRA contribution? So some folks are kind of dead set on they want the deduction now and, and they want to save now. So that, that might be more appealing to them and they, they see the value in that. that. That could be a reason. It could be if for, for in some scenarios, in, in really like complex scenarios, like if maybe they they had the marketplace health coverage and maybe their income was low enough to where if you cut their income lower with a with a deductible contribution, that okay. they would get an additional credit. So maybe like where credits yeah. are, there's some play there. It's it's extremely rare. Like usually it's it's pretty much like a tax brackets play, like you know, just right. in general, but you know, I think that's that's the beauty of of just being on the same page with your tax preparer and kind of looking out for those things in terms of the IRA contributions and all that, because there are some, you get to the end of the return and you see like, oh, wow, I, I put in $3,000 to a traditional IRA and just because of the way the credits worked and all this actually saved taxpayer, you know, $2,000 in tax. Like, oh, right, wow, right. that's pretty crazy. So and I'm, I'm not promising that to anybody, you know what I mean, <laughs> by any stretch. But, but there are some, some funky things that can happen here and there, but for the most part, no. Okay. One thing, I guess, moving on, the, the big thing that I see people not consider when it comes to this is the tax implications of converting pre-tax money that's sitting in a traditional IRA already into a backdoor Roth. So there's the pro rata rule is what it's called. So can you speak to that? Exactly. Yeah. So th that's the main tax consideration. And I'll touch on a couple more like minor things and I guess procedural things in terms of the tax implications and how the return should look and these types of stuff. But so the pro rata rule. So let's say you have a, just for simplicity, I'm going to use small round numbers. So you have a traditional IRA that's worth $10,000. And within that you have $1,000 previous non-deductible contribution that you made to the traditional IRA. So for whatever reason, it was, it was not deductible. So you might say, oh, well, great. So I'll just cherry pick that $1,000 because I know when I take a distribution of that, it's tax-free, right? Because it's recovery right. of my basis. And I'll just move that over to a Roth and that'll be that. I'll have you know $9,000 in traditional, $1,000 in a Roth IRA, growing tax-free forever, everyone's happy, right? Wrong. So <laughs> basically how that works is it's there's a pro rata rule, meaning that that basis piece, that $1,000 non-deductible previous contribution that you made that will ultimately not be taxable when it's pulled out, that's limited to the overall value of the conversion that you're doing on a pro rata basis. 
So what I mean by that is for a super simple example, again, let's say of that $10,000 of which, you know, 10,000 is the overall account. 1,000 is the basis. If you converted $1,000, that's 10% of the account that's being converted. So 10% of your non-deductible contribution is going to come over. So if you converted $1,000, 900 of it would be taxable actually, because only 10% or $100 of that $1,000 non-deductible contribution that you had previously made would be allocable to that conversion. Yeah, and that's that's the piece that's tricky. So, I mean, do you really find too many scenarios where it makes sense to do that? Or is that almost like a hard stop where if they have a bunch of money in a traditional IRA that either from a rollover, that's where I, I think I see it the most is where it's a rollover from like a previous employer's 401k. Mm -hmm. It just screws things up with doing backdoor contributions. Is that what right. you see as well? So there, there are a couple of ways to look at that, right? So you can try and find a... Like a non-invasive option or a more invasive option. The non-invasive option to kind of remedy that, that I would look at for an individual, is there an opportunity to roll it back? If you're adamant about doing the backdoor Roth, is there an, an opportunity to roll that back into a 401k or other qualified plan? So right. then, you, then you've cleared the slate there. The money's, it's a tax-free rollover. It's still in a retirement account. It's growing on a tax-deferred basis. But now you kind of wipe the slate clean of your traditional IRAs. So that's one option to kind of clear that slate there. You know, another another option that I think is like, it's, it's the same thing basically, but I think it's more accessible to individuals who might be self-employed and they have a solo 401k. Because every, every plan is different. So maybe your, your employer 401k, if you're at, working at a big company, it might not allow, you know, a rollover from, from the outside. Uh, as far as an IRA, that's possible. But if you're a self-employed individual, maybe you have a little more control over that in terms of you adopted the 401k and you can work with the TPA or whoever had the document written to allow that. Maybe that's an option for you. So that's kind of like the non-invasive, quote, tax-free ways to remedy that. I'm actually doing that for someone. After this podcast, I'm actually helping someone out with that to, to roll their existing IRA into the 401k to open up the backdoor Roth option. And then yeah. also too, if it's small enough or if it makes sense in their bigger financial picture, you know, you could, you could convert it. You know what I mean? For some individuals, like let's say maybe someone, they're, they're a wealthy individual and they're not going to touch this Roth IRA in their life. They have other means to fund their retirement and they're earmarking these assets for the next generation. That could be when you run the analysis and you're factoring in that they're never going to take RMDs, required minimum distributions, on the Roth versus if they would have left it in a traditional and the account's big enough, it could make a difference, right? So that those are the kind of the two remedies I would look at mainly before I just said, all right, you know, forget about it. Let's let's move on in terms of just stop thinking about this. Right. So perfect. This is a good overview of kind of the high level things that we were talking about. So we've kind of gone through you know, generalities of the backdoor Roth, who would contribute, who would do everything. But I'd like to go in through a little bit more specifics because I, I don't think people fully grasp, you know, necessarily the intricacies of actually doing one. So can you maybe walk through, I know every platform is different on this and I don't know who you use for your custodian or anything, but maybe walk somebody through like a DIY investor or somebody that has not gone through one of these. What are the steps to take and what the methods are for them to actually go through one of these backdoor Roth contributions? Yeah. So 
essentially, you know, again, before you do this, do not pass go, do not collect $200. Just if you have a traditional IRA balance and you're, because uh, that's the most common pitfall that I see. If you have a traditional IRA balance, which we I think we've covered ad nauseum at this point, but that's just like, hold on, pump the brakes. But so first off, they have no traditional IRA balances. If they do, it might not be the end of the world, but it's important to uh, just double check. But then logistically, you're going to have a traditional IRA open because a lot of people kind of, they just think, oh, it's going into a Roth. I only need one account. You're actually going to need two accounts. So you're going to put in your contribution, whatever it is, $6,500 is the maximum for individuals under 50 in 2023. So you put in 6,500, then that money, that's a non-deductible contribution. So on your tax return, that's going to go on form 8606 in terms of tracking your, your contribution. So it's a non-deductible contribution. And then you're converting that to a Roth IRA. So it's going to be a transfer from your traditional IRA to your Roth IRA. You're going to note that this is a conversion. So like if you're under 50, they know it's not subject to any penalties or anything like that, it'll be noted as such on your uh, form 1099R. That's the tax form that you received to, that'll kind of memorialize that you took a distribution from the traditional IRA and it went somewhere and that right. somewhere is, is the Roth IRA. And then what I would do just to keep things clean is, you know, while it's in the traditional IRA, I would leave it in cash just so that kind of keeps things cleaner. It's not going up and, or going down. It's you were putting it in there, putting it in cash, leaving it, then converting it, assuming you're not leaving it for three years, right? You know, that's, that's a different story. <laughs> right. if, assuming you're doing it in some reasonable time period. Well, what is that time period? Because I've heard differing opinions on that. Some have said, I think, 30 days, and then others have said, eh, it's not really that big of a deal. You can do it immediately. Yeah, so I guess I, I'll provide a quick background just on terms of like what you're really looking at. Like, why wait? What's the point, right? Like, right. so I think like it's important to just talk about that really quick. Just maybe, maybe it's more applicable to the practitioner than all that. But so basically before 2010, there was an income limitation on your Roth IRAs, but it's gone. That's, there's no more income limitation. So then people kind of said, oh, we, we, we can do this, this so-called backdoor Roth thing. The IRS was silent on it until 2018, I believe, when during the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, their Congress referenced it in a conference report. They said... Although an individual with AGF, these are the exact words. I had a, a good, I have a good friend, a mentor who, who gave me the advice of, you know, when you're reading all these tax things, he says, you know, read the words, right? Because sometimes you go crazy. What are, they what are they actually saying here? Okay, so we're reading the words. Although an individual with AGI exceeding certain limits is not permitted to make a contribution directly to a Roth IRA, that individual can make a contribution to a traditional IRA and convert the traditional IRA to a Roth IRA. So basically they've blessed this strategy, but they didn't name a waiting period. So really what you're, what you're going on or what you're, what you'd be worried about is what's called like the step transaction doctrine, where it's basically a substance over form of a transaction. You know, they're saying if this transaction, what happened in two steps, it went to this account, then it went to this account. But the fact pattern really supports that that was one transaction and that's not good. Right? So Candidly, I'm not sure how that would work in terms of the IRS disallowing some kind of, you know, backdoor Roth contribution. Right. I, I can't say that. I don't know how that would look, honestly. But if you're at all concerned about that, just taking all into this, this into account, 
to kind of support that there were really two steps to this transaction, we could wait longer. I've heard some okay. commentators saying that they like to use the statement rule. That's basically what shows up on a, it's on a statement in a traditional IRA. So it shows that it hit the statement in this month in May. And then on the next statement in June, that's when you do the conversion and it's on, a, it's on the traditional IRA statement, it's leaving it and it's going to the Roth IRA. And there's kind of a trail there. That's like one rule that I've heard of. Candidly, I'm not sure how much that matters just because I've never seen it challenged. But I would say if it's a great concern to you, the longer you wait, the probably the better. How, how difficult is it for somebody that doesn't have a professional like yourself to fill out the tax forms for that? You said it was 8606. Is there anything else that they have to fill out on their own for this? So they're... they're the pitfalls, like I mentioned, like maybe there's just things that they're overlooking, like in terms of if they're doing their own return, you know, they have to put it on the 8606. That might be, that might be tough, candidly, for someone that's doing the return on their own. As far as doing the, the conversion itself, you know, they'd have to be aware that they had no traditional, existing traditional IRAs. Something that, that could happen that they might not be aware of is, let's say they even get it right and they got the the money from the traditional IRA to the Roth, they had no existing traditional IRAs at that time, but then they forget that and they left their job and they got a new job in November and they rolled their former employer 401k into a traditional IRA and they say, oh, cool, that's great. I did my Roth earlier in the year and now I do this. Done, right? Well, actually you just blew it up and made it taxable, right? So there's some like certain considerations there that, that might not be, I guess, like strikingly obvious. So it's, I think someone, you know, theoretically could do it. I wouldn't recommend it. I might be a little biased, <laughs> but it could be tough for a less savvy individual and then they might want help. But again, I'm not saying someone absolutely couldn't pull it off themselves, certainly within the realm of possibility, but I, I, I wouldn't recommend it. Right. Yeah. And and I honestly couldn't tell you if TurboTax or H&R Block, like the online software has really walked people through this or not. I don't know if I've ever tried to do one through there. So do you know anything about that? I'm assuming you you do your own taxes for everything, so you probably don't see that software very often. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I can't opine on right. Um, <laughs> if they, if they help. Is there any other tax considerations they need to be aware of, or any other pitfalls, I guess, for people that are going through this process? I think we touched on them a lot. You know, making sure it's reflected properly on the tax return that you made the non-deductible contribution because. Then on the, this form 1099-R that you receive, it's going to show that you made a distribution. So if you didn't record your non-deductible contribution properly, and you're not, I guess, in tune with reviewing the return, your own return, you might, I hope, hopefully not, but count that as taxable, right? So you should right. make sure that if you, if you think you did this strategy correctly, there shouldn't be any taxable income to you in, in reflection in, in response to this, what you did here. Maybe don't don't invest it necessarily. If you're only going to leave it in there for a short period, that could mess things up a little bit in terms of just keeping it clean and keeping it, you know, you contributed 6,500, you move 6,500 over, okay, and the account didn't go up or down and create maybe a taxable piece or, you know, maybe even lost money. If you're going to do this strategy, I would avoid pulling the money out of the account in the next couple of years, just because that can get messy in terms of, the taxability of what you did and different rules that are at play for penalties and interest. And it, it, could, right. it could go a lot of different ways. If you're going to do it, I would recommend, you know, leaving it for the foreseeable future. Gotcha. 
Yeah, I guess going back, I mean, you know, years ago, this wouldn't really matter that much, but even if you have it in there for a few days, you're going to have a little bit of cash just because most of these sweep accounts, they have some sort of yield on them now. How is that impacting things to where you have to make sure, because it might be 6,500 and, you know, $1 or something yeah, like that. Like, what does that not, change? It's not the end of the world. I just say that from, from the perspective of keeping things, keeping things clean, that okay. would just be a taxable contribution, a taxable conversion, I should say. Does that change anything complexity-wise on the tax forms if it is above just the original contribution, like the standard $6,500, just because you're converting more of it and, no. and part of it's taxable, I guess, or does it no. really change much? It would just be it would just be subject to tax. It, would, it wouldn't be a huge difference. It's just, I guess, for me, and I'm, I guess, maybe a little OCD tax preparer, you know, that's kind of what I like to see. But yeah, it's, it, it, it wouldn't be the end of the world. But I just point that out just to, you know, the interest and in all that is bad, isn't bad. But in terms of just fully investing it, maybe just don't do that in terms of putting in the market and all that. Right. I guess besides the backdoor Roth strategy, are there any other alternative strategies that people should be considering either at the same time or maybe alternative to the backdoor instead? So I think in terms of like trying to keep things simple, right? And not overcomplicating your life. If you're not yet maxing out your employer, 401k or 403b or whatever it is, and you want to kind of adopt this backdoor Roth strategy and, you, and you're adamant about funding a Roth and you're not even maxing out the employer plan, maybe, you know, first start out with, you just put it, put it in the Roth from the employer plan. And then maybe that just keeps your life simpler for now. And then when you start maxing it out and, and going above and beyond what you're able to put in, in those style accounts, then you can consider the Roth that we're talking about here today. To that point too, especially if you have an employer match that you're not taking advantage of, but you're kind of itching to do this back to Roth because you heard about it, it's, that sounds like a cool thing. Make sure you're taking advantage of that first before you, you venture out into doing this strategy. That's certainly a consideration. Look, if you, if you want to do it, you want to do it, but it might not make the most financial sense in terms of, you know, benefiting yourself. And also, like what we talked about, if you're running into the problem of, oh yeah, I want to do the backdoor Roth, you know, I want to do this strategy, but I have an existing traditional IRA and, and I can't do it. Maybe that's not the answer. Maybe you can roll it somewhere else. Maybe if it's small enough, you can convert it and, and you wouldn't really feel the tax bite too much. Maybe you have a low income year and it, it, you can convert it cheaply. There can be a lot of options that could be available to you if you think you kind of hit a roadblock. So, so just if you think you're defeated in terms of for this strategy, implementing it, I would say just give it a second thought, talk to somebody. Maybe there is an opportunity to, you know, it wouldn't be too difficult to make that problem go away in terms of the existing traditional IRA. Well, yeah, and I had the same issue, honestly, personally, just because I had a rollover from a previous employer from years ago, had it in traditional rollover IRA, and then I'm like, well, now I don't have any ability to do a backdoor Roth, but then like I had a solo 401k, like you mentioned, and that yeah. worked perfectly because then you can just convert it over there and it's outside of that IRA umbrella. And then exactly. you've got some options down the road. So yeah, it's not I a think qualified that's, plan. Right, right. I think that's an underutilized option that a lot of people don't realize because yeah, a lot of people have some sort of side 1099 business, some, something like it doesn't have to be huge, but you can still open that up and still facilitate some sort of rollover. Which and is and nice. on that, on that score too, if it's a SEP IRA, you're not yeah. helping yourself there. Just so people know that if, if it's a SEP IRA, 
still an IRA. So that's yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah. So solo 401k that works. SEP IRA, not so much. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Just wanted to point that out, but, but yeah, that's, those are just the considerations that I can lay out. Well, no, this has been super helpful. Anything else you wanted to run through on this or do you think we covered it all? No, I think we covered everything. Nice. Well, I appreciate you taking the time. If, if somebody would like to learn more about you and your firm, where's the best place to go? So you can go to www.mez, M-E, M is in Mary, E-Z-Z-C-P-A.com or Mezzasama CPAs. And then I also have a newsletter. It's www.plansmartcfp.com. If you want to go there, sign up, give you some free tips and try and just try to put out good content such as this to just, you know, help as many people as possible with, you know, all their financial planning stuff that they got going on. Nice. I'll put all those in the description so that anybody can click on those and get more information. But Joe, I really appreciate you taking the time. Awesome. Absolutely. Thanks, Adam. Appreciate it. All right.